Welcome to the Dialogues podcast, brought to you by the Center for Asian American Christianity at Princeton Theological Seminary. This podcast features the voices of Asian American scholars, ministry leaders, and activists in an ongoing dialogue about theology and ministry. We provide Asian American ministry leaders with a forum for dialogue, support, and critical reflection on ministry by Asian Americans, especially in Asian American ecclesial context. Today, it's my pleasure and privilege to host a conversation with David DeLeon and Reverend Sabrina Chan, who is the co-author of this fabulous book, Learning Our Names. David is a doctoral student and instructor at Fordham University. Sabrina and David, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. So this book's been out for about a year now. I'm, I'm curious, how does it feel to be co-authors along with Linson Daniel and Latau. How does it feel to be co-authors of this book since it's been out for about a year now? That's a good question. I think when August hit and it was the one year anniversary, I think it was kind of a really sort of surreal feeling of, oh, whoa, this thing has been out here for a while. Yep. And I have friends and colleagues who, who I got to partner with in this thing. And I think it's always very exciting seeing the many afterlives, whether it's catching wind of finding it on a syllabus or like seeing a new review and seeing how meaningful it is for somebody. Um, even like outside our target demographic, which was kind of like Asian American young adults were like, whoa, the Gen Xers are like really into this book. And um, I think I appreciated seeing that. And I think my, my co-authors and I um, feel a really great sense of gratitude and I guess honor whenever I think people are willing to sort of keep talking about it. And, you know, it's like everything's sort of crazy within the first rush of, of the book coming out. And so to see it sort of continue to have an impact and have people talk about it and use it um, is, I think, very, very cool. And, and it's been really fun. I think as you were asking that, David, I was like, oh, I don't know what I think, but I think I mostly feel proud of us for persevering, you know, in the midst of all the writing and then getting to see it released. Yeah, I think for a long time it was like, oh, are we going to get it done? And then to get it done and have it be out there. It's been really fun to interact with folks who've read it. That's been a joy. And I want to say for our audience, the full title, the title, it's Learning Our Names, Asian American Christians on Identity relationships and vocation. I want to get to the backstory behind the publication, but kind of on this theme right here, which parts of the book do you think have resonated the most with the audience? Like when people come, when you speak about the book and you talk about it on campus or at churches, do people say, hey, this stuff, this aspect of the book really spoke to me or resonated? Is there a pattern that emerges or the entire thing? I think it depends on the person and where they're at and what's striking them in the moment. So I've had folks say that the family section was really important for them, that chapter. I've had folks say, oh, the Asian American section that David wrote was really um, helpful because it named a lot of things that they had had started to put together but hadn't seen it all laid out. Um, some folks who've said, oh, you know, some of the things you described in the race chapter um, help me name some things that have happened. You know, this is some of the, uh, David saying some of the Gen Xers really 
love it. I think some of the some of the folks I've been surprised. You know, they were saying, "Oh, I've experienced these things that you wrote about in my workplace, and this I'm seeing more how this names these different pieces for me." So I, I felt like it's dependent on the person. I don't know about you, David. Yeah, I was gonna say I think uh, La's chapter on sort of her relationship with her parents, um, I think, is a, a significant one for the reason that I think Sabrina mentioned um, for the place that someone is in life. I think people have identified with it, even sort of on the parental side as they've read it, you know, and I think that that was kind of surprising and um, really cool to see it resonate in a way that we didn't anticipate. And um, I do, yeah, I keep hearing people bring last chapter up over That's and over true. again. Yeah. yeah. So for those who have not yet read this book, can you say a little bit more about the main topic or topics and ideas of the book and the the intended audience for the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was wanting to write, you know, in the late 90s, there was a, a book for Asian about Asian American discipleship that came out that was really influential for me in college. Um, and realizing, you know, it's been about 25 years since then. And what was the title of that book? The title of that one was Following Jesus Without Dishonoring Your Parents. Yep. Um, also published by IVP. Yep. Um, and so when I became the national director for Asian American Ministries, I felt like, oh, I think it's time to write another one, uh, partly because a lot of time has gone by, but also because the first book mostly represented East Asian perspectives because it was East Asian authors. And so wanting to... Um, incorporate more voices, right? The diversity of Asian American voices. So um, for many reasons, uh, working on another book project. You know, at that time, I was a campus minister myself when this project began. And um, I was noticing that sometimes our Asian American students had trouble figuring out um, not like what they brought into conversations on racial justice, but sort of... um, the language and the frameworks to sort of engage with in it. And I think one of the the aims was to be able to provide some language for Asian American Christian students um, to think about race, to think about ethnicity, to think about culture beyond how we had discipled them up to that point, which was um, sort of like really beautiful meaning making, but kind of like fairly essentialist ways of discipleship and talking about what it meant to be Filipino American in my case, or Chinese American. And I think um, this book was an attempt to start opening that up in a different way, that our Mm -hmm. conversations could go more deeply, that we could see the ways in which um, our siblings say, um, uh, in the black community, or even sort of like, our white Christian siblings, like how they engage with race differently, even with the language, um, the ways that race is or hasn't been reflected in conversations around Christian discipleship for Asian Americans, right? And so we wanted to give people a more broad, nuanced palette to be able to paint with so that they could be a part of conversations and um, movements toward, um, you know, more progress in racial justice. And I think that that this book was an attempt to do that. So you both share extensive and intensive experience ministering to undergraduate students, often of Asian descent. And what I'm hearing is there's, there's a need for resources that help your Asian undergraduate student population 
better understand themselves. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm hearing. Is that does that sound about right? I think so. I mean, I maybe another way to say it would be every generation of Christians in every time and place has had to discern what does it mean to follow Jesus, right? In our particular place. Um, and I think there has not been a lot of resources for Asian Americans, let's say, um, mm-hmm. um, in that vein that, yeah, it might look different. It, and it does look different, you know, because of a myriad of reasons, right? Migration story, family background, but um, racialization, some of these different things that we tried to both show some of the um, particularities that might be different amongst cultures, but also holding sort of those communal values and the things, the way that racialization and migration have affected, you know, a significant swath of us um, Asian Americans. So, yeah. Yeah, And I'd say that particularly for um, that group of people, that demographic, um, there can be a lot of fear with not having the right language Mm -hmm. to hop into um, sort of the public discourse of what's Mm -hmm. happening or um, to be able to situate yourself as you show up on campus at a protest, you know, um, Mm -hmm. protesting some form of racial injustice that's happening. And I think um, this is another resource to sort of help people not feel unprepared, especially Asian American Christians um, who are in college and trying to figure this stuff out, maybe for the first time in their lives, but, you know, in a deeply formative time, nonetheless. Oh, that's that's extremely helpful. I can I can think back to the many decades ago when I was a was a freshman coming onto campus and sorting through my own identity issues and interacting with a whole new set of conversations and, and mm-hmm. demographics and populations. That's part of the university college experience is exposure mm-hmm. to new ideas, new people groups, um, new dynamics. And for Asians in the U.S., there are certain patterns that emerge. So I want to hear more about the main idea of the book, but I know that the main idea of the book sits on these streams, these tributaries. And you started talking about some of them, like migration, like family relationships, like race. So begin to weave together how the various tributaries feed into the mainstream and even pick out some of your particular threads that you are most excited about. Well, I do think there's this <clears throat> definite sort of stream of of um, sort of agency, right? And I think that mm. that sort of comes with uh, even sort of the title of the book, Learning Our Names, right? That there is a power to um, uh, asserting sort of the names that we have, that we've been given, even... Uh, working through when names have been thrust upon us, right? And and I think that that's a sort of a common narrative that has happened um, for Asian Americans, right, um, throughout the history of our presence here in North America. Um, and so, you know, this initial stream of the book tries to build some conceptual frameworks for, like, identity and history and even problematizing and, and nuancing what Asian American as a category is, right? And so, um, you know, we we sort of give people the legwork of like, well, you know, here are the ways that Asian American is not like 
a super helpful term and here are the ways that it has been a helpful term right mm. political movements solidarity um uh that sort of coalition building um and then i sort of try to draw as widely as possible that to share in sort of the history of asian america is sort of all that it takes for you to be an asian american right and 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 i think i've sort of been a part of communities in the past where um that circle around what it means to be a filipino american or an asian american is very tightly drawn right mm. and and so to to be able to draw lines of history um to sort of use actual stories right places of confluence for uh, for different asian american peoples right like um that that is sort of like a way that we try to construe like a very generous and hospitable a generous and hospitable sort of entry point for people to think about themselves as Asian Americans. Um, and so then uh, we we sort of move into that and we talk about, well, and Sabrina does a really great job in her chapter on race where it's like, yeah, there are cultures, right? There are identities, right? The stories that we are, um, that we sort of claim as our own, that we lay claim to, that have shaped us and our culture is the way that those stories get lived out, right? But the reality of, being where we are situated uh, in the United States and all of the colonial legacies entailed therein, right? Like racialization is inevitably a, a fact of life for that, right? We have to sort of deal with that. And, and I think Sabrina does a great job of tying histories to then um, sort of a way to understand race apart from identity, apart from ethnicity, um, as a made-up thing, obviously, but as a very real and consequential thing. And so I think from that initial framework, we sort of take like topical routes into thinking about, well, if these things are true, right, about identity, about our family stories, about the realities of racialization, well, how do those things actually sort of trickle into these various things that people in this age group, people in this demographic deal with pretty regularly? I'll sort of hand it off to the Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's good. So the second sort of, section of the book talks um about relationships so that's both family um singleness and dating and um relationships across uh religious diversity um and so some sort of leaning in on the communal aspects of many asian cultures and saying well you know these relationships are really important mm. are very very formative um and then the last section talks more about the vocation piece um, so church and vocation and leadership um, and those pieces. So say more about how those the second and third section, the relationships piece and the vocations piece. So you're working with college students. Um, you know, I think it's it's the middle of the fall right now. So a lot of freshmen, they had like, I don't know, parent weekend, the parents come. They have to clean their dorm rooms. You know, they're... The, the, <laughs> The dining halls are serving the nice food for the folks that are coming in. And so there's this kind of like um, reconnection between parents and their student children. Um, but then when they graduate, they're getting spun out into the world and they're choosing vocations. They're, they're having to discern whether to get married, when to get married, who to marry, how that impacts mom and dad, ethnically, linguistically, culturally, etc. So I'm... I'm curious to learn both from your ministry experience, how the 
especially intergenerational family dynamics. And I know there's more relationships than just intergenerational family dynamics, but how the relationship piece and the vocations piece impinge on each other. Hmm. Well, I think you started to started to talk about it already, David, just how it's not, um, you know, when I was a student, I had these hopes for my future and my parents were really opposed. And one of my white friends at the time told me, yeah, my parents said, do what makes you happy. And I really thought that was just something on TV. I really thought that was just something people said on TV and it wasn't real life because I just didn't, I just did not understand. I was like, really? Your parents said that? Um, and it kind of blew your mind, right? <laughs> it really did. And, and at the same time, you know, and in the moment I was really jealous, right? I was like, oh, I just want to go do this thing. Um, my parents weren't, well, I had, had important reasons, actually, that they were concerned about that. Um, and you were born but, in the States, right? You're a second gen. Right, yeah, your parents definitely. Were, yeah, got it. Yep. So they had concerns. You know, they, I wanted to go into ministry and they weren't. They were wanting me to consider working as an engineer for, for a season first. Um, or they wanted me to. They, um, and I was jealous of my friend, my white friend, who just could do what she wanted. Um, at the same time, I think there was... Um, as after a few years, after I kind of got past that season and um, did join ministry, et cetera, et cetera, I could look back and see there were ways that when, for my friend, once she turned 18, she was kind of on her own. Mm. You know, there was not a sense of, I mean, her parents loved her mm. and everything, but it was just different. They did not feel a sense of responsibility in the same way. That obviously my parents felt a lot of responsibility, said, no, we need to help guide you. And mm. and that was hard. But with it came a lot of support mm. that my friend did not get in the same way. I mean, she got emotional support, but not necessarily like any guidance or like, you know, kind of coming alongside. So I, I, I think, you know, the way they impinge upon each other, you were saying you started to go there is that I, I think it's just a lot more communal, mm. you know. And when we were working on this book together thinking about what are the things that, you know, without being essentialist, what are the things that kind of are in common amongst Asian Americans? And sort of that communal mentality, communal identity was a big one. The migration piece is also a big one. And then, you know, racialization um, felt like sort of the, the main things that uh, we orbited around a lot. Um, yeah, David, I'm curious how you would answer that question too. Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> um... To point to to one of Law's chapters again, like I think she has a <laughs> she's a really great chapter on thinking about religious diversity even within our own families, yep, right, mm-hmm. and how um, how we navigate with both honor and discernment, sort of that complexity of you know with perhaps the difference of generation comes a difference of religion and faith tradition, and and what does it look like to sort of honor um, our family, our culture you know, for which religion and culture sort of being intertwined like pretty deeply, right? Um, especially for people who um, sort of became Christians themselves, yeah. right, um, in their generation. And and so I think that that's sort of a place where um, we see sort of the relationships and uh, the generation piece, sort of the calling, like, you know, in what way are you sort of called to be and bear witness in your own family of religious difference, right? Like, and I think that that's a pretty great chapter, sort of how she um, engages with that with, with I think, real nuance and real care and real honor. I also think about 
the number of conversations we had, right? Because we were all doing campus ministry when this book first started, right? And and Linson actually sort of became a church pastor, like in the middle of the book, right? And so he he's sort of thinking about vocation, like throughout the process and um and, and you see some of that uh, reflection coming in the church chapter but i think we also wanted to um self-aware of our own uh ministry proclivities right like not sort of do the thing where it's like the most faithful thing you can do is like go to seminary become a pastor or like become a campus minister right and i i, I think that we are self-aware enough thankfully i hope so to know that a lot of the time that that sort of thinking about calling and vocation um, sort of undergirded how we helped walk alongside students in our ministries themselves, that we were unintentionally sort of like perpetuating and like building many copies of ourselves as campus ministers, right? And I think we wanted to be very clear that it's like, no, like faithfulness to God and the calling that Jesus has on your life like is more than just you sort of trying to give back years to this campus ministry that helped to form you, right? Or it's not just you, um, like it isn't just the narrative of like, I had the high paying job, but I did the ministry thing instead. It's that, you know, God actually sort of can use anyone, right? And any place. And um, I think we wanted to give, again, generous frameworks for people to wrestle with that, knowing sort of the patterns that we had had sort of in the past, I think. So on a, my next question is totally on track with this and to uh, show my age a little bit. Back in the 90s when I was in college as a second generation Chinese American attending university, a lot of my Asian colleagues and friends, you know, their primary vocational options were very limited. It was either go to medical school go to business school, go to graduate school in some kind of science, engineering, technology field, and maybe law school, although a lot of, like, I don't really know if my parents knew what lawyers did, uh, but it sounded good, right? and it sounded like it paid well and had a stable sort of vocational outcome. So that was about, you know, that was in the 90s. I am curious now, um, since all four of the co-authors share a campus ministry experience especially with Asian students, have the vocational options on campus for Asian undergraduate, have they expanded any? Um, that's kind of like one level. Are people imagining different vocational pathways now than perhaps 30 years ago? And then secondly would be the Christian calling piece and, and the specific case about joining staff or going into campus ministry or going, in, going to seminary to pursue pastoral ministry, is that still a competition with Christian parents, even Christian parents who don't want their Christian kids becoming pastors? Um, you know, so I'm, I'm curious how the, how the conversations in 2023 work around these issues. Yeah, and, and to be clear, like, I think that the, the reality, and I do think Linson sort of gets into this in his chapter, the reality of like sort of holding up these sort of vocational ministry opportunities um, as the highest good, just not for my kid. Like, it, I think it's still like a very real thing. Um, 
just not for my kids. Just not for my kids, right? And I think that that's sort of the the distinction. Like it could be so and so. Like it, it could be anyone else, but my kid. Um, you know, I'd say that for the last batch of students that I worked with on campus, um, who were primarily Filipino American students in Northern California, um. A lot of them did sort of go on to pursue um, sort of stuff with regards to like social welfare. I think there is something to say about the general consciousness of a particular generation around social issues, um, the way that they have been formed to care about the world in a particular way that, um, you know, I can think of three or four students who were sort of doing something either humanitarian or kind of artsy or some sort of combination, some kind of um, popular education or like just regular educator, right? I wasn't around them um, sort of in the aftermath of undergrad to where I was getting to sort of see the the struggles and maybe hard conversations they were or were not having with their parents. I do think we did our best, and I think this is reflected in the book, to demystify this notion of a calling or a vocation, right? That that one can have many callings or vocations in life that may be seasonally bound, maybe geographically bound, right? But that there is an attentiveness to the move of the spirit that we hope we're cultivating in our students. Um, and I'd like to think that sort of the student generation that I'm referring to folks who graduated in the like maybe mid to late 2010s um that in a very real way they were seeking out a deep sense of integration and wholeness and justice in their lives and i'm really sort of glad and proud to sort of see that happen um i don't know what you're seeing on the ground these days sabrina <laughs> i mean I, yeah i love that answer david and i agree about the social um consciousness and just thinking back about different alumni and folks I've interacted with in the in this season of um yeah just who have who have gone to do social work or education or a number of different things I wonder if some of it has the more established a family feels maybe the more open they are to you know people pursuing other other things That's right besides the most secure the things that look most secure I wonder I'd add that um I think with greater visibility for Asian Americans in the media and in the arts, you know, say the last decade. I mean, you could say however long you think that's been, but um, I'm, we're hearing more and more about like folks pursuing film or um, writing or, you know, different arts related um, things, which I, I just think is great. Around vocation, I think, you know, one of the ways I like to talk about vocation now is that, you know, vocation also includes, you know, I'm a daughter right, to my parents. And so, you know, part of vocation is like, how do I interact with them? And how do we care for, you know, aging parents? Or uh, I'm a mom, and how do I relate to my kids? And so the, the vocation is is more than just what we do with our time, nine to five, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it encompasses all these relationships. And uh, I'm a community member, I'm a citizen. How do these things play out as well? Yeah, really wanted to decouple the career from the vocation ah. like let, let's not flatten those things let's let's broaden and understand what we're called to with more capacity
So eloquent, both of you. That's really helpful. Really, really helpful. So writing an entire book with four different co-authors is a labor of love. That is a passion project. It takes a lot of sacrifice. I know you all are very, very busy. Um, so there's a cost involved. Uh, you calculated that the cost was worth it. Say more about why you sacrificed time and energy to write this book. Like, why, why was this a passion project? What would have happened if you didn't write it? Like, what is the loss for your audience, um, college, Asian, Christian, disciples of Jesus? What is the loss to that community in particular if you had not written this book? It's not a super deep answer, but I mean, I think I sort of wonder if I had a book like this, like where, where would I be like today? Like wow. in what way might not, not that speed in trying to sort of mature and get that to happen quickly is of utmost essence. But I do think there's a way that we wanted to give something as a gift, right, to this particular generation where they can have the resources, they can have the sources, they can find the knowledge, but they can be sort of accompanied along in their journeys of following Jesus, trying to figure out what that means in the bodies that they're in here in the U.S., right? And to be able to have people who have journeyed with you in that or have taken journeys that are similar to you, right? Like I think is a deeply sort of encouraging and comforting thing. Um, yeah, and so I, I think, I, I hope that this sort of helps students, um, young Asian American Christians sort of get a head start on diving more deeply into um their family stories, diving more deeply into um, how to love and care for their family cross-generationally, how to think more deeply on the earlier end about what they do with their time, with their careers, with how they show up in their communities and their families. And so um, if it helps them do that a little better or maybe even a little earlier, then I think we can push this conversation about how to show up as most, most faithfully as Asian Americans, we can push it further um, if we bring more people along with us. And mm. this was an attempt to bring more people with us. Mm. Yeah, that's great, David. I think my answer is similar um, in that I was thinking about, you know, the things I ended up writing about were hard won. Mm. You know, the processing, the stories, the, you know, I think particularly maybe even the gender chapter that I co-wrote with Linson, the parts that I wrote about from my experiences as a woman and and leading and in different spaces, I think it was hard one and it it took a lot of energy in the sense of just processing, is this is this the way it is? Did I do something wrong? Is this normal? Kind of I'm experiencing these things. I can't totally name them. And we'd get together with friends and then we'd name them and be like, okay, this is what's happening. Da, da, da. And I think my hope is that if if folks can glean from that or feel less alone, you know, they can spend less energy worrying about that stuff and actually do the constructive and creative work mm. that, you know, I, you know, I can only get so far because I was just spending a lot of energy on this other stuff. And hopefully other folks can build on this. I mean, that's why we wrote in the front, like, to the next generation, we hope you rewrite this. Mm. You know, we hope you go further. You know, we hope you take this even further. And I hope that 
having some of that, some of those stories written down will help folks feel less alone and not have to worry about that stuff as much so they can be more creative and constructive. I think the other way I think about it is um, in a lot of churches, you know, whether white or Asian, a predominant Western theology, Western white the theological way of looking at things is, is still predominant. And I, you know, in, in recent years, I think there's been more looking at like, you know, what, what parts of this are American or what parts of this are German from the 1700s or, or whatever. Um, and I would hope, I, my hope was also that the book would help catch some folks who are thinking like, I'm just going to toss Christianity completely because it fits only this mm. demographic. My hope is that the, like, that, that the book would help catch some folks mm. who are maybe wanting to exit, who are wanting to say, mm. you know what, never mind. This doesn't make any sense to me. It's 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 way too Western or or whatever. Or I can't. It, the way it's being taught to me is is a certain way that doesn't take into account my lived experience, my family's experiences. I, I hope that it could catch some folks who are who are in that boat. Wow, wow, yes, I hope it does too. Absolutely. You mentioned sometimes the difficulty in writing, and I want to reflect with you all on the process of writing. And you can talk about the joys and the pains, maybe even some of the burdens you you bear as you carry these stories with you. Not all of them are joyful. Some of them could be painful, even traumatic. Did the writing process reveal something surprising that you did not know before? Like with academics, when I asked them about, you know, their their monographs after you know X number of years doing archival research as a historian or reading on linguistic you know, philosophy, they oh, they realized X, Y, and Z. I didn't know this. I learned something about this. This this kind of took my thesis in a different direction, et cetera, et cetera. Your book is a little different. It's based on experiences. It's based especially on your ministry experiences and conversations from, from those periods of life. Um, but I would imagine that you might have begun with a certain compass or orientation. This is how we anticipate things might go. And was that true? And if not, where did the pathways take you? Were there any surprises in the in the writing process? Things that you like caught yourself and like, oh my gosh, I didn't think I'd, you know, think this, say this, write this. That's one way to approach it. Well, I think what I mean, one huge thing is is that the pandemic happened right in the middle of. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's the only thing I can like. Yeah. Oh. Like that's that was the major sort of earth shattering thing, and in a lot of ways, the self consciousness, self-awareness of Asian America changed dramatically during the tail end of the writing of this book, hmm. where Sabrina can remember a number of times I was like, Sabrina, I think we have to start completely over and rethink everything. Why? Think, say, wait, say why. Spell it out for us. Why? Did I just, you, I, I, you know, we're four authors who are sort of trying to write in a particular direction. We have different sort of marching orders for the chapters that we were working on. And I was just kind of like, we all knew in real time that like everything's going to be different after this in light of the rise of anti-Asian violence, rhetoric, et cetera. And I mean, from a pragmatic standpoint, I was just like, I don't want this thing to sort of like be outdated, like as the moment it gets published, right? That it's like we weren't able to account for the intense sort of amount of um conversations that were happening, new learning happening by Asian American churches that 
hadn't previously talked about race, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the surprising and comforting thing was, I mean, comforting in one level and abhorrent and terrifying on the other is like everything that was happening in the pandemic, I think was proving sort of like why the book needed to get written or like why talking about these things was important, right? Mm. That it was like they're the scapegoating. Well, if we have a historical backdrop onto which we look at Asian American scapegoating, right? Like this isn't a new thing and history rhymes and we see that, right? We can point back to that. Um, We can sort of see the cracks. Like we, we didn't need anything else to point to for why, you know, the model minority is a myth. It was happening in real time. And we got to see sort of the, the, the pliability of, um, you know, how, racialization can reconfigure an Asian American as dangerous, right? And, and so I think I was surprised pleasantly and sort of relieved that, yeah, the pandemic actually sort of helped, I think, confirm that, like, book needed to get written and that we were writing in the right direction, mm, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, we were able to find the points where it's like we could more naturally sort of talk about pandemic in real time in in the the writing that we did right yeah i i'd say that that was sort of new and then i'll just say personally writing i i was finding my writing voice while it was all happening i think from a personal standpoint like i was being formed in the academy really sort of intensely for the first time and i was preaching at a lot of asian american conference things and I, in a lot of ways, this book, I think, was an attempt to sort of marry those two voices. And I remember on one draft being like, it was like way too like academic. And then like another draft was like way too sort of like popular for lack of a better term. And, and I knew that I wanted to be somewhere in the middle. I just didn't know how to get there. Right. And so I think, I think this book, like, I'll always sort of think about navigating those tensions, like, when I think about writing this book and how this was, like, first chance of that kind of integration for me personally, figuring out how I want my voice to sort of show up on paper. I actually felt like my job got easier with the race chapter because of the pandemic. Um, for me, growing up where I did, anti-Asian racism was very clear to me from day one, you know, going to school, like, all those things. But some of my friends who came from more Asian dominant areas or school districts didn't, I felt like I was going to have to convince them that anti-Asian racism exists. Um, but the pandemic made, made that stream much more visible, right? Um, just undeniable, honestly, right? And even in Asian American centers like New York, LA, San Francisco, you know, Asian elders being attacked, but undeniable. Um, so in some ways it made it, easier. I think emotionally, you know, when you were asking the question about writing, David, I was thinking, honestly, you know, we we met in in January 2020 with drafts of our chapters. We really I think we really thought in six months we'll be done with this project. You know, most of the chapters at least had had a rough draft and we were reading each other and giving each other notes on stuff like that. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, oh, this is, the you know, everything. So I think just the exhaustion of, and you know, several of us have young kids who are home and online. And um, I think trying to persist and write in the midst of that was pretty challenging with everything going on uh, for Asian Americans. And I'll say, I think 
you know, the challenge of writing is that once it's out there, it's printed and it's a moment in time that you thought those things. And the new things that you're thinking yep. are not in that book, right? Like, and, you know, I was, I was thinking, I was talking, I was in conversation with someone the other day and saying, there's, there's more to, there's more to say for sure about many of those topics, but but particularly I think the gender chapter, you know, having had a little bit more distance and time to reflect on the Atlanta shootings and and some of these things, I was like, oh, I wish I had been able to say things more strongly than what's in there right now. But I think some of that I just could not process it in real time and put it on paper. You know what I mean? It needs time to sort of I don't know, for me just to like be be in me. Yeah. I was like, oh, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? How do, what does this mean? How do I reflect on this? So, yeah. So I think that in particular, I've, I've been, yeah, I've thought about a little bit more since. The, the question I want to conclude our conversation on is something you both alluded to, but especially David about his identity formation during the writing process. And I'm just wondering, how do you find your voice? As an Asian American Christian author, um, was it difficult to find your voice? Are there demons of approval, of perfectionism? Of can I say that? Should I say that? Is that the is that dishonoring someone? Right. So the self doubt, uh, coupled again for me, it's like the perfectionism piece, uh, not wanting to release something because it's a record mm -hmm. for all time for all people. The shame I would bear if I, whatever, you know, I'm just curious how you all handle the, your own identity formation in the process of writing and what gave mm -hmm. you courage? Well, we had moved, uh, just before, well, in the process of, gosh, between when we got the book proposal approved or something like that, we had moved. And I, after we started writing, I, I was like, oh, I got to find a new therapist right now because this book is really hard to write. It really bumped the urgency up. No, I'm a laughing matter. So it just was the urgency huh. level went way up as I started to try and write. Um, for me, it was thinking about, oh, what will the Chinese Heritage Church pastors think that I know and in relationship with when I say this about gender? Or what will the, you know, activist Asian Americans, will they will this will this connect or is this on point enough for um, so for this end of things, but I need to make it accessible enough for a church kid who's never thought about race, you know? Mm. So there's just like a lot of, oh, how could this fit? Mm. How could there be something for everyone? Which, you know, then you may not say anything, right? But yeah, I, so part of it was I went back to therapy, um, which was needed, you know? Um, I think what gave me some courage, this might be a little bit cliche, but my kids actually they got really behind it they i mean i mean supportive of it and you know my daughter she had a sense of like oh i write my stories mama's writing her stories right and so she understood that mm. but then you know when we got to the part about looking at possible covers she realized oh this is going to be a real book i think she thought it was going to be like her books which are like stapled and you know she was like, this is a real book. Oh, which honestly, that meant a lot to me because there were a, a good number of times where I couldn't, you know, play with them or couldn't was not available to them because I was like, I, I need to write this down. You know, I need to go write. And so it really was touching that she, at the time, she thought I was writing 
I guess what was going to be staple copies. And then she realized it was going to be like book book. Um, that meant a lot to me. You know, I wasn't going to do the audiobook recording because it was just inconvenient. I'd have to spend a night away. But when when she heard about it, she's like, no, you have to go do that. Like that. That's really cool. So she was like, you should go do that. Um, they had they had me read mine and laws and Linson read David and Linson. So. But she really encouraged me, which I was like, oh, I wasn't going to do it because it figured it was another night away from you in the midst of a busy travel schedule. But she was like, no, this is great. You know, so that was encouraging. I think we did a really good job throughout the process of encouraging each other that, right, like the adage that the universal Mm -hmm. is found in the particular and that we can lean into our particular stories and not feel like we have to sort of check the box every time we say something, right, where it's like, well, let me comment on behalf of like Chinese Americans in this section, right? Let me say something like, let me do that. But it's like, no, this like, it's literally all I have is my story. And to remind each other constantly and to be reminded of that myself, I think was a deeply encouraging thing throughout the process. I do think sort of uh, an insecurity that I was working through, right? Like the, the, the book took longer and you know, I had left sort of working campus ministry. I was sort of full-time in a doctoral program by the time that the book was released. And I think some of the stuff that Sabrina mentioned earlier of like, you know, we wrote this book with like broad accessibility in mind as much as possible. And, you know, you know how academic theology is written or can be written, right? Of this like sort of like not a ton of like broad accessibility is considered when people write. And and so I think sort of like these raging sort of internal conflicts in me about what it means to think and reflect and process deeply on paper to theologize for a community, with a community, um, what that looks like in a classroom, what it doesn't look like in a classroom, and then having my name tied to that. So I think I had to be reminded constantly to write with broad accessibility in mind and, you know, popular readership doesn't diminish sort of the depth of thinking yeah. that you write with, right? To think, is this going to be heady enough for the really intense Asian American academic, right? For the Asian American theologian, right? Not let that insecurity sort of uh, stop me from engaging in that very intentional way that we wrote and hoped to write and hoped to show up. Um, I think that that like working through that was very important. And I think it's it's constantly sort of how I am thinking about like my own scholarship now of like how does my work show up and and who does it have in mind? In what ways can I lean into particularity and have that be a gift yeah. for someone else? I'll add one more thing. I think community helped. So community of folks, you know, around us individually, but also I think just the community of authors, you know? Of the sense of like, no, I got to keep working on this because I don't want to let the others down. If it had just been my project, I totally would have given up in pandemic. That was, that was just too much. But the sense of, no, we're doing this together and giving each other feedback and encourage and encouragement. I don't know. That, that's been really meaningful. That is a fantastic note to conclude our podcast. Sabrina Chan. David DeLeon are co-authors along with Lindsay Daniel and La Tao. The title of their book is Learning Our Names, 
Asian American Christians on identity, relationships, and vocation. Please take and read. David, Sabrina, thank you so much for this passion project, this um, gift to all of us. Really, really thank you. And for also spending time on this podcast talking about this, this fabulous book. Thank you. thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Dialogues podcast. The Center for Asian American Christianity invites you to join our ongoing conversation on Asian American identity, faith, theology, and ministry through the Dialogues magazine, the Dialogues in Asian American Theology, and Ministry Public Gatherings, the annual Mental Health Conference, and the annual Asian American Theology Conference. You can find more information and sign up for our newsletter at caac.ptsem.edu.